And what a week it has been. What a week it has been, what a week it shall be here uh, as we are coming into the very final chapters. Everyone, how are you doing? Uh, Jess Brown says, most people I found on YouTube don't use different voices like you do. They use their own voice throughout uh, the book. One of the things that pulled me in was the different voices. Yeah, that was one of the things that pulled me in too. This was, um, uh, this project started as a couple of things three years ago. Three years ago, I started doing this. Ooh, that feels weird. It feels so weird. Um, when I started doing this three years ago, yeah, a big part of it was I wanted to practice my voice acting. And man, have I got some practice in. I, I didn't realize, um, I would say I've definitely grown in versatility. But one of the things I'm really able to do that I've realized some folks are not able to do um, is that I can switch to voices very, very quickly. Um and, uh, you know, I would love to approach that Robin Williams, like, frenetic ability to just bounce from voice to voice. Uh, so we'll see, if, we'll see if I can make it there. We'll see. I'm going to keep practicing. I can tell you that much. Let's talk review. <laughs> Let's talk review, baby. Let's talk about you and me. So, chapter 32 and 33. Um... Today, of course, we are reading chapters 34 and 35, so uh, our review is chapter 32, The Elder Wand. Now, I've done this a couple of times in the past. I've fallen off on some of the, the, the chapters where we really are pressed for time, but today, I want to know from y'all, hey, what happened in the last two chapters? <laughs> I mean, that's an enormous question, right? Right? I know it's a big question. I know it is. Um... Now, let's talk about it. Uh, <laughs> MMP in Discord says, deaths? Uh, <laughs> Gems says, Snape gets too close to the bubble. Taz says, stuff happened. <laughs> and Hogwarts, Hogwarts amends that and says, lots of stuff. Yes, many, many things happened. Uh, Nasty Hudson says, Snape got a dose of karma. He was betrayed by Voldemort. Indeed, yes, he was. Very much so. Yeah, that was a big betrayal. Um, and don't worry, we're going to go over this in order. Um, Mearden says, I read, uh, I, I assume you're referring to uh, Swiss Family Robinson as a kid. Is it vintage? Uh, yeah, it's definitely vintage. That's, um, I, it's, it's not the sort of reading level at which it's at. You know, for instance, I would read like just so stories. I would probably read those for vintage. Some classic lit stuff. It's classic. That's classic. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, Snape bled out those gnarly memories, says Timberwolf. And that is the big, big thing that we discovered, right? So, chapter 32, as I mentioned last time, was mostly about traversal. Um, but, wow, we begin chapter 32, Fred Weasley has just died. We go into it on such a serious note. Fred Weasley is dead, and we are launched into this battle in Hogwarts. Um, there are Dementors, there are giants, there are spiders um, that all seem to be pressing in on the school, and the students and the teachers are doing anything that they can to defend it. It's going well in some areas, but it's going very poorly in others. They have rescued um, Draco Malfoy twice at this point. Um, they run outside. 
they're sort of forced outside, um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and at some point they are fighting their way across this field and they find themselves at the Whomping Willow. Um, it seems like it's the only way forward, so they head into the Whomping Willow and that's when they realize, as Harry has already had a vision that tells him that Voldemort isn't fighting in this fight. He is basically watching from the Shrieking Shack. Well, they've been pushed to the Whomping Willow trying to find out whether or not Hagrid has died. And we still don't know the answer to that question because he got carried away by enormous spiders. They're forced to the Whomping Willow and, well, what do we know about the Whomping Willow? There's a secret passage under there and it goes straight to the Shrieking Shack. And at this point, the way becomes pretty clear. Harry, Ron, and Hermione head to the Shrieking Shack, where they overhear a conversation between Voldemort and Snape, wherein Voldemort expresses that he is dissatisfied with the performance of the Elder Wand. Why? It seems to be doing just his normal magic, not magic that he would expect from it, powerful, overpowering, undefeatable magic. That's what it should be giving him, but instead it's just giving him his regular magic. And he says, why? Why would it be performing so poorly for me? And he believes that it is because he was not the one who won this wand from Dumbledore. Dumbledore had the wand, and Voldemort took the wand from his grave, but he is not the one who overcame Dumbledore at the top of the tower. Who was that? Snape was the one who sent him off of the top of the building, and therefore Snape must be the owner of the Elder Wand. And as such, Voldemort kills Snape to finally wield the full power of the Elder Wand. As Snape dies of a snake bite, a bite from the vicious Nagini, Voldemort leaves and announces to the school that they have one hour. A one-hour respite. A one-hour break from the battle during which they contend to their wounded, collect their dead, and at the end of this hour, if Voldemort does not have Harry Potter, he will kill everyone inside. Voldemort leaves, which leaves Snape on the ground, dying, and... Harry approaches him. He doesn't know why. This man who killed his mentor, who caused him so much pain in life, and who caused so many of the people that he loved pain. And Snape starts to leak out these memories, extrude them from his eyes, his ears, and he wants Harry to collect them. And he tells Harry, look at me. And then he dies. And in the next chapter, titled The Prince's Tale, we find out what it is Snape has been doing for these many long years. Why the hate? Why the strange behavior? We even find out the answer to mysteries we didn't know would be connected to this. In The Prince's Tale, and this is a massive chapter. So you can expect this this um, <laughs> review to go on a little longer than usual, which is all right, all right, because our reading is going to be slightly shorter than usual. But Harry goes into the castle and goes to the pensive and uses the pensive 
now separated from Ron and Hermione, who have gone off to find the, you know people that they care about to find out whether or not they're all right. Harry needs to find these answers, so he goes to Dumbledore's office, gets the pensive, and dives into Snape's memories. The first of which is Snape, and shockingly, Harry's mother. Lily and Petunia. Petunia, obviously being Aunt Petunia, who Harry lived with for many years. Uh, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. She sounds like this, if that helps you remember. Um, and Lily. And their sisters, obviously. Um, but Snape has been observing them, it seems. Um, this is when they are each about nine years old. And uh, the child Snape has been uh, watching the child Lily and uh, Petunia. And he can see that Lily has some magic in her. She's got something. Um, and he is obviously, uh, she is muggle-born. And, and, and he is obviously uh, born into magic. So he doesn't know how to dress. He looks odd. But more than that, he doesn't seem to take care of himself particularly well. He's got his, his greasy hair and all that. And... Petunia, ever one to judge based on appearances, doesn't care for him. Not one bit. Um, but he approaches them and kind of frightens them away almost. But he tells Lily, you're a witch. No, no, no. It's not something to be... It's not, that's not a, an insult. I'm a wizard and you're a witch. You have power. Um, this is something that Snape, the young Snape, believes is important. Um, and then we go to a different memory in which it seems that Lily is spending some time with Snape, uh, even time sort of hidden away. They're both children, they are discussing life, and, um, well, they talk about how Lily is probably going to end up going to Hogwarts. And then Petunia finds them, uh, and Snape hurts her, which causes Lily to run off once more. And then we have another uh, another scene in which they're at King's Cross Station. It seems like in spite of some of these incidents uh, where Snape has lashed out, he and Lily have become very close. Of course, some of this is a strain. Um, Petunia, we get a much clearer look at Petunia. We, we have such a backbone as of this chapter for so many of the events and for the characters that we've gotten to know so well, we think. What drives Petunia? What brings us? What what brings Petunia to where she is and who she is and and how she is? Frankly, um, she is envious. She's written a letter to Dumbledore to ask if she can attend Hogwarts, even though she doesn't have any magic in her, and apparently she has been rejected. She's envious, but she lashes out. She her pride steps in the way, and she lashes out and calls Lily a freak, um, which. Basically, it just continues to drive a wedge between Lily and Petunia, which is not helped by the fact that Snape apparently snooped, and that's what caused them to find those letters to Dumbledore. Lily and Petunia are growing further apart, but Snape is there, and Lily and Snape are getting closer together. They get onto the train, and we see some more familiar faces. Uh, a young James Potter... A young Sirius Black. I don't believe we address young Lupin. I think it's mostly James and Sirius. Um, but uh, then we are at Hogwarts. We see the sorting ceremony wherein Snape is devastated that Lily has been sent to a different house than him. He gets sorted into Slytherin as he knew that he would, as he hoped that she would as well. 
but Lily is sorted into Gryffindor, where she goes and disdainfully sits near um, Sirius Black and James Potter. Um, we move on to a different memory, in which, well, it's one that we've seen before. Uh, actually, no, not quite yet, sorry. Uh, first, we have one in which Lily and Snape are having a very important discussion. They're discussing what Severus gets up to, who his friends are. He's clearly been hanging out with some pretty dark individuals. Mulciber comes up. And we know Mulciber, that name comes up again. Mulciber is a Death Eater. We know that, based on Lily's reaction, Snape has been trying to find a place where he belongs, but where has he decided to do that? With the, um, essentially, the, the uh, magical supremacists, right? People who use the word mudblood. And Lily says, I'm a, I, you know, why don't you call me that? Why am I different from anyone else that you would punish just for being born in a different way? And then we move to a different memory. This is the one that we've seen before. It's the one where um, they are, of course, they're a bit more grown up now. They're teenagers. They're not children anymore, but they are t teenagers. And, um, well... Lily goes and saves Severus from being tormented by James Potter and Sirius Black, etc. Um, and then he calls her a mudblood. And we move to a different memory in which Lily is standing at the door of the Gryffindor common room and Snape is apologizing over and over and over and she says, no. No. This... <sighs> I can't forgive this. I could forgive I, for, I could forgive pieces of this, but you have become something that I couldn't be friends with. And we know how this turns out. We know she just continues to get closer and closer to James Potter. And then we move far into the future. And Snape, the adult, is terrified. He's still a young adult. I, I think the, the movies did us a bit of a disservice. Obviously, in order to get somebody like Alan Rickman, it was worth it, I think, but it does us a bit of a disservice because we imagine these characters as much older, but he is an adult, but a young adult, and he is terrified waiting on a hilltop. Who's he waiting for? Well, he appears. It's Dumbledore, and Dumbledore is very harsh with Snape. What message could a Death Eater, a servant of Voldemort, possibly have for me? Um, and Snape says, I'm not here as a servant of Voldemort. I am here because he intends to kill Lily Potter, the woman I love. And Dumbledore says, well, if she means so much to you, couldn't you ask Voldemort to simply kill the child and uh, then, you know, re uh, save the mother? And Snape says, I've asked him. And Snape, or Dumbledore rightly says, you disgust me. That you would be so selfish to allow the deaths of her husband and her child if it means you can have what you want, which is Lily Potter. Um, Snape says nothing, but gives Dumbledore this warning. And over time, over the next couple of memories, we see that they have formed an alliance. Snape is working undercover. Snape is 
hidden inside the Death Eaters and continues to work for Dumbledore, giving him information, giving him uh, hints as to what is happening, even though he is tied up by, you know, magical promises made, etc. It is a such a challenging position for Snape to be in. He risks constant danger, right? If, if any of them found out, and they have so many opportunities to do so, and Voldemort is such a powerful mind reader, how how wouldn't Snape be found out? But Snape persists. He risks this constant danger because because of the memory we see in which he is sobbing and howling like an animal. Because this is the memory immediately after Voldemort has gone to the Potter residence and killed James Potter. Who cares? But he killed Lily. He killed Lily. The one person Snape has ever had a true connection with. This person from Snape's past who he thinks about day and night. And has such strong, such a strong foundation for his life founded on Lily that her death rips a part of him out of himself. So he works with Dumbledore. They make plans. We see times when, uh, although it seems like Severus is working against uh, the, sort of the good folks, uh, against the, the Order of the Phoenix, against Dumbledore, um, it was going according to plan. He needed to warn, um, he needed to... to, to make it seem like he really did have an inside uh, an inside track with um, the Order of the Phoenix and that he was sort of spying for Voldemort. He needed to make it seem like that. So he revealed um, and sort of instigated the plan of using doubles, you know, having people disguised as Harry. Because Dumbledore believes that's the only way they're going to make it out alive. Um, and most importantly, after Dumbledore has fallen terribly, terribly sick, I suppose you say, but it's because of a curse that was on this ring that he destroyed. Because of this, he says, Snape, you have to kill me. And we find out that in spite of the fact that Snape really did kill Dumbledore, it was part of Dumbledore's plan all along. And don't worry, folks, we're almost done with this review. I know it's a long one. There's so much to cover. And then Dumbledore is dead. The Order of the Phoenix uh, has managed to get Harry out of his childhood home, Sna uh, Snapely, safely. And we see a couple of final memories. One in which Snape has gone to uh, Grimald Place. And we find out who tore that photograph in half. Who took the end of that letter. Um, exp uh, uh, the end of Lily's letter, surprised that Dumbledore could ever have been friends with Gellert Grindelwald. And then one final memory in which Snape um, is in the headmaster's study. Phineas Nigelis comes rushing into the, por into the portrait um, and says that they are camping in the Forest of Dean. And we find out, finally, who it was 
that dropped off the sword in that forest. It was Snape. And his silver doe Patronus, inspired by Lily, even after all this time. Snape has been the solution to our mystery. Now, everyone, we're about to get into our reading. A couple of reminders. First of all, if you've got anything you'd like to discuss, I would love to talk about it. Go ahead and put it in chat. Um, we shall try to get to it during chatter breaks or after the chapter. I want to say thank you, uh, of course, to everyone who has helped me get this far. I went through a longer one last week, and I'm sure I'll get to a longer one next week. But this week, let's get into our chapter, shall we? Uh, Memnite, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your generosity. Thank you for the subscriptions uh, and the bits. Thank you a ton. Uh, and uh, Jess Brown, I saw you got some in there a little earlier. Folks, this isn't it, but this is almost it. Thank you all for being here with me. You make this such a wonderful adventure. Chapter 34 the forest again. Chapter 34 The Forest Again Finally, the truth. Lying with his face pressed into the dusty carpet of the office where he had once thought he was learning the secrets of victory, Harry understood at last that he was not supposed to survive. His job was to walk calmly into death's welcoming arms. Along the way, he was to dispose of Voldemort's remaining links to life, so that when he at last flung himself across Voldemort's path and did not raise a wand to defend himself, the end would be clean, and the job that ought to have been done in Godric's Hollow would be finished. Neither would live. Neither could survive. He felt his heart pounding fiercely in his chest. How strange that in his dread of death it pumped all the harder, valiantly keeping him alive. But it would have to stop, and soon. Its beats were numbered. How many there would be time for as he rose and walked through the castle for the last time, out onto the grounds and into the forest... Terror washed over him as he lay on the floor, with that funeral drum pounding inside of him. Would it hurt to die? All those times he had thought that it was about to happen and escaped, he had never really thought of the thing itself. His will to live had always been so much stronger than his fear of death. Yet it did not occur to him now to try to escape. To outrun Voldemort... It was over. He knew it, and all that was left was the thing itself. Dying. If he could only have died on that summer's night when he had left Number 4 Privet Drive for the last time, when the noble Phoenix Feather Wand had saved him, if he could only have died like Hedwig, so quickly he would not have known it had happened. 
or if he could have launched himself in front of a wand to save someone he loved. He envied even his parents' deaths now. His cold-blooded walk to his own destruction would require a different kind of bravery. He felt his fingers trembling slightly and made an effort to control them, although no one could see him. The portraits on the walls were all empty. Slowly, very slowly, he sat up, and as he did so he felt more alive and more aware of his own living body than ever before. Why had he never appreciated what a miracle he was? Brain and nerve and bounding heart, it would all be gone. Or at least, he would be gone from it. His breath came slow and deep, and his mouth and throat were completely dry. But so were his eyes. Dumbledore's betrayal was almost nothing. Of course, there had been a bigger plan. Harry had simply been too foolish to see it. He realized that now. He had never questioned his own assumption that Dumbledore wanted him alive. Now he saw that his lifespan had always been determined by how long it took to eliminate all the Horcruxes. Dumbledore had passed the job of destroying them onto him, and obediently he had continued to chip away at the bounds tying him not only to Voldemort, but himself to life. How neat, how elegant not to waste any more lives, but to give the dangerous task to the boy who was already marked for the slaughter, and whose death would not be a calamity but another blow against Voldemort. And Dumbledore had known that Harry would not duck out. That he would keep going to the end, even though it was his end, because he had taken trouble to get to know him, hadn't he? Dumbledore knew, as Voldemort knew, that Harry would not let anyone else die for him now that he had discovered it was in his power to stop it. The images of Fred, Lupin, and Tonks lying dead in the Great Hall forced their way back into his mind's eye, and for a moment he could hardly breathe. Death was impatient. But Dumbledore had overestimated him. He had failed. The snake survived. One Horcrux remained to bind Voldemort to the earth, even after Harry had been killed. True, that would mean an easier job for somebody. He wondered who would do it. Ron and Hermione would know what needed to be done, of course. That would have been why Dumbledore wanted him to confide in two others, so that if he fulfilled his true destiny a little early, they would carry on. Like rain on a cold window, these thoughts pattered against the hard surface of the incontrovertible truth, which was that he must die. I must die. It must end. Ron and Hermione seemed a long way away, in a far-off country. He felt as though he had parted from them long ago. There would be no goodbyes and no explanations. He was determined of that. This was a journey they could not make together, and the attempts that they would make to stop him would waste more valuable time. He looked down at the battered gold watch he had received on his 17th birthday. Nearly half of the hour allotted by Voldemort for his surrender had elapsed. 
he stood up. His heart was leaping against his rib like a frantic bird. Perhaps it knew it had little time left. Perhaps it was determined to fulfill a lifetime's beats before the end. He did not look back as he closed the office door. The castle was empty. He felt ghostly, striding through it alone, as if he had already died. The portrait people were still missing from their frames. The whole place was eerily still, as if all its remaining lifeblood were concentrated in the great hall where the dead and the mourners were crammed. Harry pulled the invisibility cloak over himself and descended through the floors, the last walking down the marble staircase into the entrance hall. Perhaps some tiny part of him hoped to be sensed, to be seen, to be stopped. But the cloak was, as ever, impenetrable, perfect, and he reached the front doors easily. Then Neville nearly walked into him. He was one half of a pair that was carrying a body in from the grounds. Harry glanced down and felt another dull blow to his stomach. Colin Creevy, though underaged, must have sneaked back just as Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle had done. He was tiny in death. Do you know what? I can manage him alone, Neville, said Oliver Wood, and he heaved Colin over the shoulder in a fireman's lift and carried him into the great hall. Neville leaned against the doorframe for a moment and wiped his forehead with the back of his hand. He looked like an old man. Then he set off down the steps again into the darkness to recover more bodies. Harry took one last glance back at the entrance hall. People were moving around, trying to comfort each other, drinking, kneeling beside the dead, but he could not see any of the people he loved. No hint of Hermione... Ron, Ginny, or any of the other Weasleys. No Luna. He felt he would have given all the time remaining to him for just one last look at them. But then, would he ever have the strength to stop looking? It was better like this. He moved down the steps and out into the darkness. It was nearly four in the morning, and the deathly stillness of the grounds felt as though they were holding their breath, waiting to see whether he could do what he must. Harry moved toward Neville, who was bending over another body. Neville? Blimey, Harry. Nearly gave me heart failure. Harry had pulled off the cloak. The idea had come to him out of nowhere, born of a desire to make absolutely sure. Where are you going, alone? Neville asked suspiciously. It's all part of the plan, said Harry. There's something I've got to do. Listen, Neville. Harry? Neville looked suddenly scared. Harry, you're not, you're not thinking of handing yourself over? No. Harry lied easily. Of course not. This is something else but I might be out of sight for a while. You know Voldemort's snake, Neville. He's got a huge snake. Calls it Nagini. I've heard. Yeah, 
What about it? It's got to be killed. Ron and Hermione know that, but just in case they... <laughs> the awfulness of that possibility smothered him for a moment, made it impossible to keep talking, but he pulled himself together again. This was crucial. He must be like Dumbledore. Keep a cool head, make sure there were backups, others to carry on. Dumbledore had died knowing that three people still knew about the Horcruxes. Now Neville would take Harry's place. There would still be three in the secret. Just in case they're... they're busy, and you get the chance. Killed the snake? Kill the snake, Harry repeated. All right, Harry. You're okay, are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Neville. But Neville seized his wrist as Harry made to move on. We're all going to keep farting, Harry. You know that? Yeah, I... The suffocating feeling extinguished the end of the sentence. He could not go on. Neville did not seem to find it at all strange. He patted Harry on the shoulder, released him, and walked away to look for more bodies. Harry swung the cloak back over himself and walked on. Someone else was moving, not far away, stooping over another prone figure on the ground. He was feet away from her when he realized it was Ginny. He stopped in his tracks. She was crouching over a girl who was whispering for her mother. It's all right, Ginny was saying. It's okay. We're going to get you inside. But I, I want to go home, whispered the girl. I don't want to fight anymore. I know, said Ginny, and her voice broke. It's going to be all right. Ripples of cold undulated over Harry's skin. He wanted to shout into the night, wanted Ginny to know he was here. He wanted her to know where he was going. He wanted to be stopped and be dragged back to be sent home. But he was home. Hogwarts was the first and best home he had known. He and Voldemort and Snape, the abandoned boys, had all found home here. Ginny was kneeling beside the injured girl now, holding her hand. With a huge effort, Harry forced himself on. He thought he saw Ginny look around as he passed and wondered whether she had sensed someone walking nearby. But he did not speak, and he did not look back. Hagrid's hut loomed out of the darkness. There were no lights, no sound of fangs scrabbling at the door, his bark booming in welcome. All those visits to Hagrid and the gleam of the copper kettle on the fire, and rock cakes and giant grubs and his great bearded face and Ron vomiting slugs and Hermione helping him to save Norbert. He moved on. And now he reached the edge of the forest and he stopped. A swarm of Dementors was gliding amongst the trees. He could feel their chill, and he was not sure he would be able to pass safely through it. 
He had no strength left for a Patronus. He could no longer control his own trembling. It was not, after all, so easy to die. Every second he breathed, the smell of the grass, the cool air on his face was so precious. To think that people had years and years, time to waste, so much time it dragged and he was clinging on to each second. At the same time, he thought he would not be able to go on and knew he must. The game, the long game was ended. The snitch had been caught. It was time to leave the air. The snitch. His nerveless fingers fumbled for a moment with the pouch at his neck, and he pulled it out. I open at the close. Breathing fast and hard, he stared down at it. Now that he wanted time to move as slowly as possible, it seemed to have sped up, and understanding was coming so fast it seemed to have bypassed thought. This was the close. This was the moment. He pressed the golden metal to his lips and whispered, I am about to die. The metal shell broke open. He lowered his shaking hand, raised Draco's wand beneath the cloak, and muttered, Lermos. The black stone, with its jagged crack running down the center, sat in the two halves of the snitch. The resurrection stone had been cracked down the vertical line representing the elder wand. The triangle and the circle representing the cloak and the stone were still discernible. And again, Harry understood, without having to think. It did not matter about bringing them back, for he was about to join them. He was not really fetching them. They were fetching him. He closed his eyes and turned the stone over in his hand three times. He knew it had happened, because he heard slight movements around him that suggested frail bodies shifting their footing on the earthy, twig-strewn ground that marked the outer edge of the forest. He opened his eyes and looked around. They were neither ghost nor truly flesh. He could see that. They resembled most closely the riddle that had escaped from the diary so long ago, and how he had been memory made nearly solid, less substantial than living bodies, but much more than ghosts they moved toward him, and on each face there was the same loving smile. James was exactly the same height as Harry. He was wearing the clothes in which he had died, and his hair was untidy and ruffled, and his glasses were a little lopsided, like Mr. Weasley's. Sirius was tall and handsome, and younger by far than Harry had seen him in life. He loped with an easy grace, his hands in his pockets and a grin on his face. Lupin was younger, too, and much less shabby, and his hair was thicker and darker. He looked happy to be back in this familiar place, the scene of so many adolescent wanderings. 
Lily's smile was widest of all. She pushed her long hair back as she drew close to him, and her green eyes, so like his, searched his face hungrily, as though she would never be able to look at him enough. You've been so brave. He could not speak. His eyes feasted on her, and he thought that he would like to stand and look at her forever. And that would be enough. You're nearly there, said James. Very close. We are so, so proud of you. Does it hurt? The childish question had fallen from Harry's lips before he could stop it. Dying? Not at all said Sirius. Quicker and easier than falling asleep. And he will want it to be quick. He wants it over, said Lupin. I didn't want you to die, Harry said. These words came without his volition. Any of you? I'm sorry, he addressed Lupin more than any of them, beseeching him, Right after you had your son. Remus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too, said Lupin. I'm sorry I'll never know him. But he will know why I died, and I hope he will understand. I was trying to make a world in which he could live a happier life. A chilly breeze that seemed to emanate from the heart of the forest lifted the hair at Harry's brow. He knew they would not tell him to go. That would have to be his decision. You'll stay with me? Until the very end, said James. They won't be able to see you? asked Harry. We're part of you, said Sirius. Invisible to anyone else. Harry looked at his mother. Stay close to me, he said quietly. And he set off. The Dementor's chill did not overcome him. He passed through it with his companions, and they acted like Patronuses to him, and together they marched through the old trees that grew closely together, their branches tangled, their roots gnarled and twisted underfoot. Harry clutched the cloak tightly around him in the darkness, traveling deeper and deeper into the forest, with no idea where exactly Voldemort was, but sure he would find him. Beside him, scarcely making a sound, walked James, Sirius, Lupin, and Lily, and their presence was his courage and the reason he was able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. His body and mind felt oddly disconnected now, his limbs working without conscious instruction as if he were passenger, not driver, in the body that he was about to leave. The dead who had walked beside him through the forest were much more real to him now than the living back in the castle. Ron, Hermione, Ginny, and all the others were the ones who felt like ghosts as he stumbled and slipped toward the end of his life, toward Voldemort. A thud and a whisper. Some other living creature had stirred close by. Harry stopped under the cloak, peering around 
listening, and his mother and father, Lupin and Sirius, stopped too. Someone is there, came a rough whisper close at hand. He's got an invisibility clock. Could it be? Two figures emerged from behind a nearby tree. Their wands flared, and Harry saw Yaxley and Dolohov peering into the darkness, directly at the place that Harry, his mother and father, and Sirius and Lupin stood. Apparently, they could not see anything. Well, definitely heard something, said Yaxley. An animal, do you reckon? That head case Hagrid kept a whole bunch of stuff in here, said Tullahov, glancing over his shoulder. Yaxley looked down at his watch. The time's nearly up. Potter's had his hour. He's not coming. And he was sure that he'd come. He won't be happy. Better go back, said Yaxley. Find out what the plan is now. He and Dolohov turned and walked deeper into the forest. Harry followed them, knowing that they would lead him exactly where he wanted to go. He glanced sideways, and his mother smiled at him, and his father nodded encouragement. They traveled on mere minutes when Harry saw light ahead, and Yaxley and Dolohov stepped out into a clearing that Harry knew had been the place where the monstrous Aragog had once lived. The remains of his vast web were there still, but the swarm of descendants he had spawned had been driven out by the Death Eaters to fight for their cause. A fire burned in the middle of the clearing, and its flickering light fell over a crowd of completely silent, watchful Death Eaters. Some of them were still masked and hooded. Others showed their faces. Two giants sat in the outskirts of the group, casting massive shadows over the scene, their faces cruel rough-hewn like rock. Harry saw Fenrir, skulking, chewing his long nails, and the great blonde Roll was dabbing at his bleeding lip. He saw Lucius Malfoy, who looked defeated and terrified, and Narcissa, whose eyes were sunken and full of apprehension. Every eye was fixed upon Voldemort, who stood with his head bowed and his white hands folded over the Elder Wand in front of him, he might have been praying, or else counting silently in his mind, and Harry, standing still on the edge of the scene, thought absurdly of a child counting in a game of hide-and-seek. Behind his head, still whirling and coiling, the great snake, Nagini, floated in her glittering, charmed cage like a monstrous halo. When Dolohov and Yaxley rejoined the circle, Voldemort looked up. No sign of him, my lord, said Dolohov. Voldemort's expression did not change. The red eyes seemed to burn in the firelight. Slowly he drew the Elder Wand between his long fingers. My lord? Bellatrix had spoken. She sat closest to Voldemort, disheveled, her face a little bloody but otherwise unharmed. Voldemort raised his hand to silence her, and she did not speak another word, but eyed him in worshipful fascination. I thought... I thought he would come, said Voldemort in his high, clear voice, his eyes on the leaping flames. 
I expected him to come. Nobody spoke. They seemed to be as scared as Harry, whose heart was now throwing itself against his ribs as though determined to escape the body he was about to cast aside. His hands were sweating as he pulled off the invisibility cloak and stuffed it beneath his robes with his wand. He did not want to be tempted to fight. I was, it seems, mistaken, said Voldemort. You weren't. Harry said it as loudly as he could, and with all the force he could muster, he did not want to sound afraid. The resurrection stone slipped from between his numb fingers, and out of the corner of his eyes he saw his parents, Sirius and Lupin, vanish as he stepped forward into the firelight. At that moment he felt nobody mattered but Voldemort. It was just the two of them. The illusion was gone as soon as it had come. The giants roared as the Death Eaters rose together, and there were many cries, gasps, even laughter. Voldemort had frozen where he stood, but his red eyes had found Harry, and he stared as Harry moved toward him, with nothing but the fire between them. And then a voice yelled, Harry! No! He turned. Hagrid was bound and trussed, tied to a tree nearby. His massive body shook the branches overhead as he struggled, desperate. No! No! Harry! What are you? What are you? Quiet! shouted Roll. With a flick of his wand, Hagrid was silent. Bellatrix, who had leapt to her feet, was looking eagerly from Voldemort to Harry, her breast heaving. The only things that moved were the flames and the snake coiling and uncoiling in the glittering cage behind Voldemort's head. Harry could feel his wand against his chest, but he made no attempt to draw it. He knew that the snake was too well protected, knew that if he managed to point the wand at Nagini, fifty curses would hit him first. And still, Voldemort and Harry looked at each other, and now Voldemort tilted his head a little to the side, considering the boy standing before him, and a singularly mirthless smile curled the lipless mouth. Harry Potter, he said very softly. His voice might have been part of the spitting fire. The boy who lived. None of the Death Eaters moved. They were waiting. Everything was waiting. Hagrid was struggling and Bellatrix was panting, and Harry thought inexplicably of Ginny and her blazing look and the feel of her lips on his. Voldemort had raised his wand. His head was still tilted to one side like a curious child wondering what would happen if he proceeded. Harry looked back into the red eyes, and he wanted it to happen now, quickly, while he could still stand, before he lost control, before he betrayed fear. He saw the mouth move, 
in a flash of green light, and everything was gone. That is the first chapter for the evening. Ooh. Everyone, I will be rejoining you in five minutes. My question for you all as we go into our chatter break. How did Harry get here? Not just his willingness. Mostly his ability to stand here in front of Voldemort. What are the things that people taught him? Where are the places where people helped him? What made it possible for him to stand here right now? And to face Voldemort head on? That's my question, and I will see you all in five minutes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Our question was, what brought Harry here? What brought Harry here to where he is now? I'm seeing courage. I'm seeing his friends, his family. No man is an island. Um, Lisa says love. I think that's a good answer. What what brought Harry to want to come here? Yeah, I think I think that is love. Sparkle Lovegood says he's been bullied his entire life. I think that is a strength that allowed him to get here. Ninja says there is courage that the Sorting Hat saw in him. Gems brings up Ron and Hermione. I think that's a fantastic answer as well. Ron and Hermione, um, who aren't standing here, but without them, Harry never would be. Neville Longbottom uh, was the other person whose birth fulfilled the prophecy that... Basically, someone's going to have to take care of Voldemort. It could have been Harry or it could have been Neville. And by his actions, Snape sort of made it Harry. And yet, without Neville, Harry wouldn't be here. These are people who... And, and there's such, such a long list. Just think of the moment... Uh, in one of our very recent chapters, wherein Harry would have died on the grounds of, well, not died, uh, had his soul kissed out of him by a Dementor, had it not been for Luna. 
All these moments, all of these people who, although they can't be the one here to stand in front of Voldemort, they are the ones who made it possible. And Harry carries so much on his back, but so many of those people had such an important impact. That's so important to remember. The support we give can go sort of, it can sort of funnel into people. And maybe you aren't going to be the one that gets the opportunity to stand in front of whatever challenge or whatever wrong is in your life or in the lives of so many people. But that doesn't mean that your efforts don't funnel into someone else. And these people aren't even followers of Harry. They're dedicated, but these people aren't, you know, folks who have decided that, you know, Harry is their leader or something. I think a lot of them would look at him in that way as well. But so many of these people are folks who lend support without, without needing to apply it to a power structure. Harry is not an authority. They simply recognize that Harry is someone who they can support and that their support, all of it funneled together, all of it pushing in the same direction, will be such an unstoppable force. Hogwarts Hippie says, Harry got here by perseverance, seeking truth, finding family and home and acceptance. It started with him learning that he'd been lied to his entire life by his caretakers that treated him badly. From there, he entered a new world of magic where he found the things he always wished for. Courage, bravery, family, and love helped Harry get through the darkest times. His love for all the people that he calls friends and family is what brought him here. Yeah, that is what that is what motivated him to get here. That's what made him decide to, to come up here. And I think uh, all of the people that we've discovered were the ones who made it possible, who actually brought him to this point. Without too much more ado, everyone, we're going to be moving on to our second chapter, our second and final chapter for the night. Our first titled um, The Forest Again, chapter 34. They, they seem to have lost. Harry recognizes some of the futility in the situation at the start of chapter um, 34. He has just finished seeing what his life was destined to be. What Dumbledore, in a betrayal, how Dumbledore betrayed him, and how he knows now that his life, almost since birth, certainly since coming to Hogwarts, has been destined to be this. To come forward and to die, because that is what is required to bring Voldemort down. A bit of Voldemort resides in Harry, just like a bit of Voldemort resided inside the locket, inside the ring, inside the cup. And without destroying that part, Voldemort will continue to live on, so Harry must die. And Harry must go on his own. He walks through the grounds of Hogwarts, saying silent goodbyes to people as he sees them. He asks Neville to please kill the snake if he should have the opportunity to do so. Because Harry realizes someone must be in on the secret. 
There should still be three, even after he, Harry, is gone. He sees Ginny, but he's underneath his invisibility cloak and he says nothing, but walks past her, knowing that if he sees the people that he loves, if he stops with them, would he ever start again? Would he ever put another foot in front of the other and continue his short but such a long journey into the Forbidden Forest to meet his death. Once there, he uses the Resurrection Stone because he finally understands what it means to be able to get the the snitch left to him by Dumbledore open. He gets it open, there's the Resurrection Stone, and he uses it to bring back his father, his mother, Sirius, and Lupin. All of these folks who have died, but who mean so much to him, who have meant so much to him, some of whom he never even knew. And they accompany him into the camp of Death Eaters, where he reveals himself, and very quickly, Voldemort kills him. That's where we're at. That is where we continue. Everyone, thank you so very much for being here. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And we are now embarking on Chapter 35. Chapter 35. King's Cross. He lay face down, listening to the silence. He was perfectly alone. Nobody was watching. Nobody else was there. He was not perfectly sure he was there himself. A long time later, or maybe no time at all, it came to him that he must exist must be more than disembodied thought because he was lying, definitely lying, on some surface. Therefore he had a sense of touch, and the thing against which he lay existed too. Almost as soon as he had reached this conclusion, Harry became conscious that he was naked. Convinced as he was of his total solitude, this did not concern him, but it did intrigue him slightly. He wondered whether, as he could feel, he would be able to see. In opening them, he found that he had eyes. He lay in a bright mist, though it was not like mist he had ever experienced before. His surroundings were not hidden by cloudy vapor. Rather, the cloudy vapor had not yet formed into surroundings. The floor on which he lay seemed to be white. Neither warm nor cold, but simply there, a flat, blank something on which to be. He sat up. His body appeared unscathed. He touched his face. He was not wearing glasses anymore. Then a noise reached him through the unformed nothingness that surrounded him. The small, soft thumpings of something that flapped, flailed, and struggled. It was a pitiful noise, and yet also slightly indecent. He had the uncomfortable feeling that he was eavesdropping on something furtive. Shameful. 
For the first time, he wished he were clothed. Barely had the wish formed in his head than robes appeared a short distance away. He took them and pulled them on. They were soft, clean, and warm. It was extraordinary how they had appeared, just like that, the moment he had wanted them. He stood up, looking around. Was he in some kind of great room of requirement? The longer he looked, the more there was to see. A great domed glass roof glittered high above him in the sunlight. Perhaps it was a palace. All was hushed and still, except for those odd thumping and whimpering noises coming from somewhere close by in the mist. Harry turned slowly on the spot, and his surroundings seemed to invent themselves before his eyes. A wide-open space, bright and clean, a hall larger by far than the great hall, with that clear, domed glass ceiling. It was quite empty. He was the only person there, except for... He recoiled. He had spotted the thing that was making the noises. It had the form of a small, naked child, curled on the ground, its skin raw and rough, flayed-looking, and it lay shuddering under a seat where it had been left, unwanted, stuffed out of sight, struggling for breath. He was afraid of it. Small and fragile and wounded though it was, he did not want to approach it. Nevertheless, he drew slowly nearer, ready to jump back at any moment. Soon he stood near enough to touch it, yet he could not bring himself to do it. He felt like a coward. He ought to comfort it, but it repulsed him. You cannot help. He spun around. Albus Dumbledore was walking toward him, sprightly and upright, wearing sweeping robes of midnight blue. Hurry! He spread his arms wide, and his hands were both whole and white and undamaged. You wonderful boy! You brave, brave man! Let us walk! Stunned, Harry followed as Dumbledore strode away from where the flayed child lay whimpering, leading him to two seats that Harry had not previously noticed, set some distance away under that high, sparkling ceiling. Dumbledore sat down in front of them, and Harry fell into the other, staring at his old headmaster's face. Dumbledore's long silver hair and beard, the piercingly blue eyes behind the half-moon spectacles, the crooked nose... Everything was as he had remembered it. And yet... But you're dead, said Harry. Oh, yes, said Dumbledore, matter-of-factly. Then I'm dead, too? Huh, said Dumbledore, still smiling more broadly. And that is the question, isn't it? On the whole, dear boy, I think not. They looked at each other, the old man still beaming. Not, repeated Harry. Not, said Dumbledore. But, Harry raised his hand instinctively toward the lightning scar. It 
did not seem to be there. But I should have died. I didn't defend myself. I, I meant to let him kill me. And that, said Dumbledore, will, I think, have made all the difference. Happiness seemed to radiate from Dumbledore like light, like fire. Harry had never seen the man so utterly, so palpably content. Explain, said Harry. But you already know, said Dumbledore. He twiddled his thumbs together. I let him kill me, said Harry. Didn't I? You did, said Dumbledore, nodding. Go on. Sorry, the part of his soul that was in me. Dumbledore nodded still more encouragingly, enthusiastically, urging Harry onward, a broad smile on his face. Has it gone? Oh, yes, said Dumbledore. Yes, he has destroyed it. Your soul is whole and completely your own, Harry. But then... Harry glanced over his shoulder to where the small, maimed creature trembled under the chair. What is that, Professor? Something that is beyond either of our help said Dumbledore. But if Voldemort used the killing curse, Harry started again, and nobody died for me this time, how can I be alive? I think you know, said Dumbledore. Think back. Remember what he did in his ignorance, in his greed and his cruelty. Harry thought... He let his gaze drift over his surroundings. If it was indeed a palace in which they sat, it was an odd one, with chairs set in little rows and bits of railing here and there, and still he and Dumbledore and the stunted creature under the chair were the only beings there. Then the answer rose to his lips easily, without effort. "'He took my blood,' said Harry. "'Precisely,' said Dumbledore. "'He took your blood and rebuilt his living body with it. "'Your blood in his veins, Harry, Lily's protection inside both of you. "'He tethered you to life while he lives.' "'I live while he lives? But I, I thought... I thought it was the other way around. I thought that we both had to die, or is it the same thing? He was distracted by the whimpering and thumping of the agonized creature behind them, and glanced back at it yet again. Are you sure that we can't do anything? There is no help possible. Then explain more, said Harry, and Dumbledore smiled. You were the seventh Horcrux, Harry, the Horcrux he never meant to make. He had rendered his soul so unstable that it broke apart when he committed those acts of unspeakable evil. The murder of your parents, the attempted killing of a child, 
but what escaped from that room was even less than he knew. He left more than his body behind. He left part of himself latched to you, the would-be victim who had survived. And his knowledge remained woefully incomplete, Harry. That which Voldemort does not value, he takes no trouble to comprehend. Of households and children's tales, of love, loyalty, and innocence, Voldemort knows nothing, and understands nothing. Nothing. That they all have a power beyond his own, a power beyond the reach of any magic, is a truth he has never grasped. He took your blood, believing it would strengthen him. He took it into his body, a tiny part of the enchantment that your mother laid upon you, and she died for you. His body keeps her sacrifice alive, and while that enchantment survives, so do you. And so does Voldemort's one last hope for himself. Dumbledore smiled at Harry, and Harry stared at him. And you knew this. You knew all along. I guessed, but my guesses have usually been good, said Dumbledore happily, and they sat in silence for what seemed like a long time, while the creature behind them continued to whimper and tremble. There's more, said Harry. There's more to it. Why did my wand break the wand that he borrowed? As to that, I cannot be sure. Have a guess, then, said Harry, and Dumbledore laughed. What you must understand, Harry, is that you and Lord Voldemort have journeyed together into realms of magic hitherto unknown and untested. But here's what I think happened. It is unprecedented, and no wandmaker could, I think, ever have predicted it or explained it to Voldemort. Without meaning to. As you know, Lord Voldemort doubled the bond between you and he returned to human form. A part of his soul was still attached to yours, and thinking to strengthen himself, he took a part of your mother's sacrifice into himself. If you could only have understood the precise and terrible power of that sacrifice, he would not, perhaps, have dared to touch your blood. But then, if he had been able to understand, he could not be Lord Voldemort, and might never have murdered at all. Having ensured this twofold connection, having wrapped your destinies together more securely than two wizards were joined in history, Voldemort proceeded to attack you with a wand that shared a core with yours. Now something very strange happened, as we know. The cause reacted in a way that Lord Voldemort, who never knew that your wand was a twin of his, had never expected. He was more afraid than you were that night, Harry. You had accepted, even embraced, the possibility of death, something Lord Voldemort has never been able to do. Your courage won. Your wand overpowered his, and in doing so, something happened between those wands, something that echoed the relationship between their masters. I believe that your wand imbibed some of the power and qualities of Voldemort's wand that night, 
which is to say it contained a little of Voldemort himself. So your wand recognised him when he pursued you, recognised a man who was both kin and mortal enemy, and it regurgitated some of his own magic against him, magic much more powerful than anything Lucius's wand ever performed. Your wand now contained the power of your enormous courage and of Voldemort's own deadly skill. What chance did that poor stick of Lucius Malfoy's stand? But if my wand was so powerful, how come Hermione was able to break it? asked Harry. Oh, my dear boy, its remarkable effects were directed only at Voldemort, who had tempered so ill-advisedly with the deepest laws of magic. Only toward him was that wand abnormally powerful, otherwise it was a wand like any other. Though a good one, I am sure, Dumbledore finished kindly. Harry sat in thought for a long time, or perhaps seconds. It was very hard to be sure of things like time here. He killed me with your wand. He failed to kill you with my wand, Dumbledore corrected Harry. I think that we can agree that you are not dead. There, of course, he added, as if fearing he had been discourteous, I do not minimize your sufferings, which I am sure were severe. I feel great at the moment, though, said Harry, looking down at his clean, unblemished hands. Where are we, exactly? Well, I was going to ask you that, said Dumbledore, looking around. Where would you say that we are? Until Dumbledore had asked, Harry had not known. Now, however, he found that the answer was ready to give. It looks he asked slowly. Like King's Cross Station? Except a lot cleaner and empty. There are no trains as far as I can see. <laughs> King's Cross Station? <laughs> Dumbledore chuckled immodestly. Nope. King's Cross Station? <laughs> Dumbledore was chuckling immoderately. Good gracious, really? "'Well, where do you think we are?' asked Harry, a little defensively. "'My dear boy, I have no idea. This is, as they say, your party.' Harry had no idea what this meant. Dumbledore was being infuriating. He glared at him, then remembered a much more pressing question than that of their current location. "'The Deathly Hallows,' he said and he was glad to see that the words wiped the smile from Dumbledore's face. Oh, yes, he said. He even looked a little worried. Well, for the first time since Harry had met Dumbledore, he looked less than an old man, much less. He looked fleetingly like a small boy caught in wrongdoing. "'Can you forgive me?' he said. "'Can you forgive me for not trusting you, for not telling you? "'Harry, I only feared that you would fail as I had failed. "'I only dreaded you would make my mistakes. 
I crave your pardon, Harry. I have known for some time now that you are the better man. What are you talking about? asked Harry, startled by Dumbledore's tone, by the sudden tears in his eyes. The hallows, the hallows, murmured Dumbledore, a desperate man's dream. But they're real, real and dangerous, and a lure for fools, said Dumbledore. I was such a fool. But you know, don't you? I have no secrets from you any more. You know. What do I know? Dumbledore turned his whole body to face Harry, and tears still sparkled brilliantly in the blue eyes. Master of death, Harry! Master of death! Was I better, ultimately, than Voldemort? Of course you were, said Harry. Of course! How can you say that? You never killed if you could avoid it. True, true, said Dumbledore, and he was like a child seeking reassurance. Yet I too sought a way to conquer death, Harry. Not the way that he did, said Harry. After all his anger at Dumbledore, how odd it was to sit here beneath the high vaulted ceiling and defend Dumbledore from himself. Hallows, not Horcruxes. Hallows, murmured Dumbledore. Not Horcruxes. Precisely. There was a pause. The creature behind them whimpered, but Harry was no longer looking around. Grindelwald was looking for them, too, he asked. Dumbledore closed his eyes for a moment and nodded. It was the thing, above all, that drew us together, he said quietly. Two arrogant, clever boys with a shared obsession. He wanted to come to Godric's Hollow, as I am sure you have guessed, because of the grave of Ignotus Peverell. He wanted to explore the place where the third brother had died. So it's true, asked Harry. All of it. The Peveril brothers were the three brothers of the tale, said Dumbledore, nodding. Oh, yes, I think so. Whether they met death on a lonely road, I, I, I think it more likely that the Peveril brothers were simply gifted, dangerous wizards who succeeded in creating those powerful objects. The story of them being death's own hallows seems to me the sort of legend that might have sprung up around such creations. The cloak, as you now know, travelled down through the ages, father to son, mother to daughter, right down to Ignotus's last living descendant, who was born, as Ignotus was, in the village of Godric's Hollow. Dumbledore smiled at Harry. Me? You. You have guessed, I know, why the cloak was in my possession the night that your parents died. James had showed it to me just a few days previously. It explained much of his undetected wrongdoing at school. I could hardly believe what I was seeing. I asked to borrow it, to examine it. It had been long since given up as a dream. 
my dream of uniting the hallows, but I could not resist, could not help taking a closer look. It was a cloak, the likes of which I had never seen, immensely old, perfect in every respect. And then your father died, and I had two hallows at last all to myself. His tone was unbearably bitter. The cloak wouldn't have helped them survive, though, Harry said quite. Harry said quickly. Voldemort knew where my mum and dad were. The cloak couldn't have made them curse-proof. True, said Dumbledore. True. And he sighed. Harry waited, but Dumbledore did not speak, so he prompted him. So you had given up looking for the Hallows when you saw the cloak? Oh, yes, said Dumbledore faintly. It seemed that he forced himself to meet Harry's eyes. You know what happened. You know. You cannot despise me more than I despise myself. But I don't despise you. Then you should, said Dumbledore. He drew a deep breath. You know the secret of my sister's ill health... What those muggles did, what she became. You know how my poor father sought revenge and paid the price, died in Azkaban. You know how my mother gave up her own life to care for Ariana. I resented it, Harry. Dumbledore stated it baldly, coldly. He was looking now over the top of Harry's head into the distance. I was gifted. I was brilliant. I wanted to escape. I wanted to shine. I wanted glory. Do not misunderstand me, he said, and pain crossed the face so that he looked ancient again. I loved them. I loved my parents. I loved my brother and my sister, but I was selfish. Harry, more selfish than you, who are a remarkably selfish person, could possibly imagine. So that when my mother died, I was left the responsibility of a damaged sister and a wayward brother. I returned to my village in anger and bitterness. Trapped and wasted, I thought. And then, of course, he came... Dumbledore looked directly into Harry's eyes again. Grindelwald, you cannot imagine how his ideas caught me, Harry, inflamed me. Muggles forced into subservience, we wizards triumphant. Grindelwald and I, the glorious young leaders of the revolution. Though I, I had a, a few scruples, I assuaged my conscience with empty words. It would all be for the greater good, and any harm done would be repaid a hundredfold in benefits for wizards. Did I know in my heart of hearts what Gellert Grindelwald was? I think I did. But I closed my eyes. If the plans were... 
coming to fruition. All of my dreams would come true. And at the heart of our schemes, the deathly hallows. Oh, how they fascinated him. How they fascinated both of us. The unbeatable wand, the weapon that would lead us to power. The resurrection stone. To him, though I pretended not to know it, it meant an army of inferi. To me, I confess, it meant the return of my parents, and the lifting of all responsibility from my shoulders. And the cloak. Somehow we never discussed the cloak much, Harry. Both of us could conceal ourselves well enough without the cloak, the true magic of which, of course, is that it can be used to protect and shield others as well as its owner. I thought that if we ever found it, it might be useful in hiding Ariana, but our interest in the cloak was mainly that it completed the trio. For the legend said that the man who has united all three objects would then be truly masters of death, which we took to mean invincible. <laughs> invincible masters of death, Grindelwald and Dumbledore, Two months of insanity, of cruel dreams, and neglect of the only two members of my family left to me. And then, you know what happened. Reality returned in the form of my rough, unlettered, and definitely more admirable brother. I did not want to hear the truth, he shouted at me. I did not want to hear that I could not set forth to seek the hallows with a fragile and unstable sister in tow. The argument became a fight. Grindelwald lost control. That which I had always sensed in him, though I pretended not to, now sprang into a terrible being. And Ariana, after all my mother's care and caution, lay dead upon the floor. Dumbledore gave a little gasp and began to cry in earnest. Harry reached out and was glad that he could finally touch him. He gripped his arm tightly and Dumbledore gradually regained control. Oh, Grindelwald fled. As anyone but I could have predicted, he vanished with his plans for seizing power and his schemes for muggle torture and his dreams of the Deathly Hallows, dreams in which I had encouraged and helped him. He ran, while I was left to bury my sister, to learn to live with my guilt and my terrible grief, the price of my shame. Years passed. There were rumors about him. They said that he had procured a wand of immense power. I, meanwhile, was offered the post of Minister of Magic, not once, but several times. Naturally, I refused. I had learned that I was not to be trusted with power. But you would have been better, much, much better than Fudge or Scrimgeour, burst out Harry. "'Would I?' asked Dumbledore heavily. "'I am not so sure. 
I had proven as a very young man that power was my weakness and my temptation. It was a curious thing, Harry, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Those who, like you, have leadership thrust upon them, and take up the mantle because they find, to their own surprise, that they wear it well. I was safer at Hogwarts. I, I think I was a good teacher. You were the best. You are very kind, Harry. But while I busied myself with the training of young wizards, Grindelwald was raising an army. They say that he feared me, and perhaps he did, but less, I think, than I feared him. Oh, not death, said Dumbledore, in answer to Harry's questioning look. Not what he could do to me magically. I knew that we were evenly matched, perhaps that I was a shade more skilful. It was the truth, I feared. You see, I never knew which of us in that last horrific fight had actually cast the curse that killed my sister. You may call me cowardly. You would be right. Harry, I dreaded beyond all the things the knowledge that it had been I who had brought about her death, not merely through my ignorance and stupidity, but that I actually struck the blow that snuffed out her life. I think he knew it. I, I think he knew what frightened me. I delayed meeting him until finally it would have been too shameful to resist any longer. People were dying, and he seemed unstoppable, and I had to do what I could. Oh, do you know what happened next? I won the duel. I won the wand. Another silence. Harry did not ask whether Dumbledore had ever found out who had struck Ariana dead. He did not want to know, and even less did he want Dumbledore to have to tell him. At last he knew what Dumbledore would have seen when he looked into the mirror of Erised, and why Dumbledore had been so understanding of the fascination it had exercised over Harry. They sat in silence for a long time, and the whimperings of the creature behind them barely disturbed Harry any more. At last he said, Grindelwald tried to stop Voldemort going after the wand. He lied, you know, pretended that he never had it. Dumbledore nodded, looking down at his lap, tears still glittering on his crooked nose. They say that he showed remorse in later years, alone in his cell at Nermengard. I hope that it is true. I, I would like to think he did feel the horror and shame of what he had done. Perhaps that light of Voldemort was his attempt to make amends, to prevent Voldemort from taking the hallow 
Maybe from breaking into your tomb, suggested Harry, and Dumbledore dabbed his eyes. After a short pause, Harry said, You tried to use the Resurrection Stone. Dumbledore nodded. And I discovered it, after all those years, abandoned, buried in the home of the Gaunts, the hollow I had craved most of all, though in my youth I had wanted it for very different reasons. I lost my head, Harry. I quite forgot that it was now a horcrux, that the ring was sure to carry a curse. I picked it up, I put it on, and for a second I imagined I was about to see... Ariana, and my mother and my father, and to tell, to tell them how very, very sorry I was. I was such a fool, Harry. After all these years I had learned nothing. I was quite unworthy to unite the deathly hallows. I had proved it time and again, and here was the final proof. Why? said Harry. It was natural. You wanted to see them again. What's wrong with that? Maybe a man in a million could unite the hallows, Harry. I was fit only to possess the meanest of them, the least extraordinary. I was fit to own the Elder Wand, and not to boast of it, and not to kill with it. I was permitted to tame and to use it, because I took it not for gain, but to save others from it. But the cloak I took out of vain curiosity, and so it could never have worked for me as it works for you, its true owner, the stone, I would have used in an attempt to drag back those who are at peace, rather than to enable my self-sacrifice, as you did. You are the worthy possessor of the Hallows. Dumbledore patted Harry's hand, and Harry looked up at the old man and smiled. He could not help himself. How could he remain angry with Dumbledore now? Why did you have to make it so difficult? Dumbledore's smile was tremulous. I am afraid... I counted on Miss Granger to slow you up, Harry. I was afraid that your hot head might dominate your good heart. I was scared that, if presented outright with the facts about those tempting objects, you might seize the hallows as I did at the, at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. If you laid hands on them, I wanted you to possess them safely. You are the true master of death, because the true master does not seek to run away from death. He accepts that he must die, and understanding that there are far, far worse things in the living world than dying. And Voldemort never knew about the Hallows. I do not think so, because he did not recognize the Resurrection Stone he turned into a Horcrux. But even if he had known about them, Harry, I doubt he would have been interested in any except the first. He would not think he needed the cloak. And as for the stone, whom would he want to bring back from the dead? He fears the dead, 
He does not love. But you expected him to go after the wand. I've been sure that he would try ever since your wand beat Voldemort in the graveyard of Little Hangleton. At first he was afraid that you had conquered him by superior skill. Once he had kidnapped Ollivander, however, he discovered the existence of the twin cause. He thought that explained everything. Yet the borrowed wand did no better against yours. So Voldemort, instead of asking himself what quality it was in you that made your wand so strong, what gift you possessed that he did not, naturally set out to find the one wand that, they said, would beat any other. For him, the Elder Wand has become an obsession to rival his obsession with you. He believes that the Elder Wand removes his last weakness and makes him truly invincible. Poor Severus. Have you planned your death with Snape? You meant him to end up with the Elder Wand, didn't you? I admit that was my intention, said Dumbledore. But it did not work as I intended, did it? No, said Harry. That bit didn't work out. The creature behind them jerked and moaned, and Harry and Dumbledore sat without talking for the longest time yet. The realization of what would happen next settled gradually over Harry in the long minutes, like softly falling snow. I've got to go back, haven't I? That is up to you. I've got a choice. Oh, yes. Dumbledore smiled at him. We are in King's Cross, you say. I think that if you decided not to go back, you would be able to, let's say, board a train. And where would it take me? On said Dumbledore simply. Silence again. Voldemort's got the Elder Wand. True, Voldemort has the Elder Wand. But you want me to go back? I think, said Dumbledore, and if you choose to return, there is a chance that he may be finished for good. I cannot promise it, but I know this, Harry, that you have far less to fear from returning here than he does. Harry glanced again at the raw-looking thing that trembled and choked in the shadow beneath the distant chair. Do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living, and above all those who live without love. By returning you may ensure that fewer souls are maimed, fewer families are torn apart. If that seems to you a worthy goal, then we say goodbye for the present. Harry nodded and sighed. Leaving this place would not be nearly as hard as walking into the forest had been, 
but it was warm and light and peaceful here, and he knew that he was heading back to pain and the fear of more loss. He stood up, and Dumbledore did the same. And they looked for a long moment into each other's faces. Tell me one last thing, said Harry. Is this real? Or has this been happening inside my head? Dumbledore beamed at him, and his voice sounded loud and strong in Harry's ears, even though the bright mist was descending again, obscuring his figure. Of course it is happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean it is not real? And that is the end of our second chapter for the night. Oh, baby. <laughs> Dahlia, exactly. Just wow. That is how it ends for this week. Which means that next week will be the last stream of Harry Potter. After that, I intend to do a few weeks of some other sort of probably Harry Potter related things. Uh, we might take that time. That might be a good time to do the watch throughs of the final two movies because well, we have not done those yet. We have to watch those second two movies, don't we? I think reading would be great. Um, and then we're going to get into Percy Jackson and the Olympians, but next week is it. It has been three years for me. I've been doing this for three years. Um, some of y'all who have gone back and watched some of my older videos will see just where I came from. I started doing this from a laptop, a used laptop given to me by Tuna Sunday that could barely keep up on internet that was constantly fighting against other things. Um, I did it standing at a, um, <laughs> I did it every week. I was standing at a, an entertainment center where we had a TV and I would put my laptop up in front of the TV and I would turn the TV on and I would change it to just a yellow screen to act as my lighting. And I'm certainly not going to call myself Harry, but I will definitely say of the people around me as we wonder sort of, you know, how did we get here? The people around me are the ones who have made this so amazing. Uh, Tuna Sunday has had been just a, an absolute treasure of ideas um, and support and dedication 
He has had sometimes more patience for this project than I do. When I've been going through especially tough times technically, where I want to be able to do this, but things are preventing me from doing so, Tunez had some of the enthusiasm that I wasn't able to manage in those moments. It has not been too often that his his dedication outpaced my own, but there have been moments. And of course, even in times when I was feeling strong about it, I was stronger because he was there with it. Um, uh, Mama Cass has obviously been such an incredible support and i know i'm going to be doing this again next week and i hope i'm not going to be crying for it but mama cass has been the one who has made sort of mama cass has made it possible for me to have this be such an, a big part of my life there are ways that i could maybe if i were doing this on my own could maybe fit it in in some of the corners but to actually spend time to do this mama cass has been the one to make that possible I want to definitely thank Frizz as well, um, who has jumped in with some great stuff, um, uh, who has done some art, who has had uh, great ideas about how to um, how to continue to to stay organized with this and how to continue to move it forward. Um, Mr. Halfbit, who joined us recently, um, I really appreciate all of your enthusiasm, especially for some of the things that I've been trying to branch out and try new things. Um, thanks for all the chats we've had about Chat Plays Dungeon World, etc. Of course, I want to say thank you once again. Um, as I said, these are the people who brought us here. Um, uh, Solderfish, who gifted to me the machine that lets me do this um, without constantly dropping like I used to and having to interrupt the centers of chapters, which, you know, we can get around them. I think YouTube probably would have been fine once I edited them together, except I wouldn't have been able to edit. I just realized on the on the machines I've had before. This is the machine that's allowed me to do editing. This is the machine that's allowed me to go through those and actually try to perform to the point where I can, I mean, I was in tears last chapter um, and I can't do that. I can't find my way so far into it without that sort of technical smoothness. Um, and I want to thank all of you for bringing me here as well. Uh, all of you who have supplied art and enthusiasm and, um, uh, well, you know, some of some of you who have been so generous with uh, the the bits and the donations, uh, those help me to do the things that I do here and uh, are part of the reason why I am still doing this, why I'm still continuing to do this, and why I'm looking forward and thinking I'm looking forward to doing this more. Shehanigan says, Sam, you're so much more confident than you were in book one. Much more at ease. Love to see the growth. I definitely feel more confident in the streaming side of things. I would say the rest of my life feels definitely more shaky, but I I am, I feel very fortunate to, I feel very fortunate to be doing this um, and having this be a point of stability in my life. I am glad you've enjoyed it so much, Ninja. <laughs> Where are we at, Iroh? Let me see it. Uh, I hope you have a good night, by the way. What did I miss? I see your name up there. Where'd it go? <laughs> I'm definitely glad that you have Hogwarts Hippie. Thank you a ton. Um, Hogwarts Hippie says, I feel like I've been in tears this entire book. Yeah, we've had some tough ones. Uh, Iroh says, after Percy Jackson, how about Hunger Games? It's definitely a possibility. Um, once we get toward the end of Percy Jackson, um, we're going to read the original series of Percy Jackson, and then we're going to take another vote on which one we should do next. So don't forget, uh, once we get into that, that'll be on the Discord. Um, everyone, thanks a ton for being here. Shall we talk about some beans?
<laughs> I am going to have to summon the Bean Queen in here, but um, boy, I really appreciate all y'all. <laughs> um, some interesting discussion in Discord. Apparently, Peverell means Piper. Interesting. Interesting. Um, uh, Ninja recommends Lord of the Rings, which I tested recently. Apparently, it's not entirely off the list, although that is one where I think we could get bogged down in some chapters in the middle there. Um, it's a very long story, and it's a it's it can be challenging in some of those parts where it moves a little bit more slowly. Holly Rose says, I've just been sobbing this whole time. Next week, I'm going to be a complete wreck. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's nothing I could do about it. Well, there is. I could read it worse. But yeah, I, I think it's... I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's coming through. I'm very glad it's coming through. Rowlett says, Sam, you're amazing. The fact that you can make so many voices is super impressive. It's made me feel like I'm experiencing the books again for the first time. I look forward to this every week and I'm always sad Friday morning. <laughs> Yeah, I do hope that uh, I, I'm definitely glad that you have enjoyed it. Um, I'm I'm super happy that I could bring a new experience to folks. Um, I am I'm very happy that I have added something. I have brought something beyond just hey, here's an audiobook of this. Yeah, Sparkle Love Good. I'm I'm sad it's coming to an end too. I really am. Um, it's hard that it felt so final for some reason. This the, the the last chapter that we did tonight at King's Cross was not as challenging as the first one tonight. That was the one that really got me. I think it was while he was looking at Ginny and deciding not to go say goodbye. That one was, I think, the toughest one I've had so far. Dahlia says, we the peasantry summon the queen of beans and beg for thine presence. A favor. We crave a favor. Um, and Rowlett, by the way, uh, helped me to find some of the art for tonight. So Rowlett, thank you very much. I appreciate that a ton. Once more, the folks who have brought us here. Um, everyone who's donating bits right now, uh, Memnite, Death Metal Dahlia, thank you a bunch. I'm going to go summon the bean queen. I shall be right back. And yes, I know I don't have the music for this screen, but uh, that's all right. We will, we will quietly just enjoy the moment, reveling in the fact that Harry has completed his mission. We thought this would be the end, but apparently we have to find out now what happens next. I'll be back in just a moment. And there we are. And yeah, JCA, I did realize that Critical Role streams at 7 p.m. on... Um, on, uh, on Thursdays, which is a pretty cool way to sort of transition. So, um, Mr. Halfbit, I don't know if, if, if we don't have a night where Mr. Halfbit's streaming, we'll probably raid over there because, um, I would love for y'all to sort of be able to find out. Okay. Mr. Halfbit's definitely streaming tonight though. So we're definitely heading over that direction. Um, but I would love for y'all to, at some point, check out Critical Role. Um, it was a very cool, uh, or it's a, it's a very cool way to tell stories. And it's one of my favorite things in the world. It's my favorite hobby for sure. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I would love for y'all to experience that and be able to feel it the same way that I do. I am I am definitely a fan JCA. Um I I'm a big fan. I'm actually listening to uh Campaign the Second right now. Um I am a few episodes into it. Um uh, I will admit that I found other ones first, so I'm actually I am a fan, but I'm a fairly recent um sort of addition to the fan fandom. Um but yes, I'm 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 always a fan of folks who are telling stories like this and who are willing to do it in a way that is kind of 
conscious, right? Like I, I, I don't mind the like big goof em up ones, but I definitely like the ones who try to tell something compelling. I like that a lot. Memnite, Holly Rose, Death Metal Dahlia, thank you all very much. And we have the Bean Queen. The Bean Queen has arrived. Indeed. Okay, let's do this thing. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm stuck. Are you stuck? Are you stuck doing a stretch? What are you doing? All right, I'm going to mute for a second so that these awful beans noises don't shatter our eardrums. Everyone... I want to say thank you all very much for being here. Um, Where is Adventure Zone? Um, uh, Hooked on the Adventure Zone. So Adventure Zone is a podcast. Uh, You can find that one. uh, I don't believe they do much on Twitch, but it's the McElroy brothers who do My Brother, My Brother and Me. But the Adventure Zone is uh, a another fantastic one that's one that starts really goofy and then they sort of find their pace and wow does it get like just very compelling um uh some great dramatic moments you're gonna feel for those characters by the end of that it's wonderful um i really like what they do with music so miss frizz says i'm finally back to keep score make sure you aren't cheating on points uh don't worry the tyrant the tyrant has ensured that i get more i get more asterisks than points born into this were you all this <laughs> my mother the queen before me yeah exactly. <laughs> the queen before me. sure everyone thank you so much let's talk about some beans so uh i need something to cover up my head don't i yeah, you do. perfect no this is all dirty i mean it's got cat fur on it but then again if you can find something that doesn't have cat fur on it i'm not sure that's gonna work i think i'm gonna be knocking my headphones off constantly um, mm, that's pretty weird. <laughs> I'll just turn this inside out. It's fine. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, let's go through our bean schedule. Everyone, thank you a ton. Death Metal Dahlia, Memnite, uh, Holly Rose. Thank you all very much. I was born into it, molded by it. I got it covered up if I'm going to do it right. Molded by it. On Mondays, we don't do anything. We're not here. I'm typically editing, um, uh, although nowadays, a lot of my uh, remote work has transferred over there, but I stream Tuesdays through Thursdays. You can find out a lot more if you head over to the Discord. For anyone wondering who on earth I am or what on earth I'm doing, uh, welcome. I'm trying to figure that out myself. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And we are currently, uh, it's Thursday night, so this is Flying Sidecar, where we, uh, is a voice actor's venture through some stories we all love. Uh, Brendan, thank you a ton. I appreciate it. Uh, And I think you're probably about to boil over that cauldron, aren't you? Yes, you did. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, And uh, I got got totally lost in it. Uh, This is in particular, is a tradition wherein I eat Birdie Bots every flavor beans and try to guess what they are. I'm terrible at it, but you can add more beans onto the pile if you go ahead and share um, on Instagram or Twitter about the show uh, using my handle, Sidecar Stories, and the hashtag HPOutloud, or, and I would definitely advise that you do this because we we're going to be starting on a new book in January. We're starting on a whole new series. And you want people to get in there. You're going to want your friends to get in there on level one, ground floor right? Use the, use the hashtag Percy Jackson out loud. Um, 
Uh, and uh, yeah, if you do so, you can add beans onto the pile. Or if you bring a friend in and they uh, and they follow up, so I can see them over in my in my activity feed, so I can see that they're new folks. And you're not just you're not you're not committing fr- bean fraud. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> she, she's going to try it. and punk my numbers. Um, uh, yeah, if you bring a new friend in and they say that you're the one that brought them, then you can add new beans to the pile. So, for our first bean, let's find out. Ow. It no, I was just hanging out. Okay. This is definitely very citrusy. Very citrusy. Very orange. Hmm. What do you think, Frizz? Honestly, here's the question. Should we just switch it to flying sidecar and have that be the same thing for all of them? Yeah. Would that be would that make more sense? Just the flying sidecar hashtag? That might make more sense. What do y'all think? Should this be the flying sidecar hashtag? Gwen Doc, I think we're going to do beans through Percy Jackson until we find maybe another like comparable tradition. Because I definitely want something to just have so we can hang out here and chill after the stream. Um, but uh, I don't know. Okay, so this one, it's orange something. I don't think it's orange soda. Didn't get the bitterness. I didn't get much vanilla either. So I'm just going to go with... Wait, start a poll. I, I wish Twitter polls worked a little bit better. Or Twitch polls worked a little bit better. But they're they're a little dicey. Flying sidecar or PJ Um... Yeah, tuna. They they have they've got nectar and ambrosia, which I believe tastes like whatever you want it to taste. So maybe we'll just do beans and say that it's ambrosia. <laughs> um. Uh. Let's see. Okay. I mean, it's orange something. I'm gonna go with tangerine because I think there's no just plain orange. I'm pretty sure the orange is like orange sherbet, and that's got some vanilla, and I don't think it's that. So tangerine. Final answer. I'm. Actually, pretty sure it's orange sherbet, but it could be pink grapefruit. It wasn't grapefruit, so it would be orange sherbet. Hi. Well, we gotta go let this I was wrong. Dang it. Did y'all hear our cat? Did y'all hear Blue just now? Come on. He's got a tiny little voice. And I think he was telling us to let the other cat in. He came over and told me to let her out when she was meowing at the door before. She was... Y'all heard her. Y'all heard her meowing at the door before I got up to let her out, and then he came out and came over and shouted at me. He's got a very, very quiet, gentle, soft voice. All right, Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, we've got Vintage Sidecar, which is, of course, where we shed some light on Classic Lit. Say hello to Blue Boy. He always hates being on camera, and it seems like he sort of knows what's in frame, impossibly. He does, because he doesn't start, like, pushing back until he gets on camera. Yep impossibly it seems like he knows what's in frame because the moment he sort of enters frame he'll start struggling to get away um in spite of the fact that for some reason he lets Cass carry him he doesn't let me carry him unless i'm moving him from this chair onto the bed that's it Memnite, thank you very much (laughs) he always looks so mad he absolutely does too it's one of our favorite things about him yep he's got a terribly angry face we love him for it um yeah, he is a beautiful blue boy. That's what I call him. <laughs> He's my beautiful blue boy. Okay. On Tuesdays, Vintage Sidecar, where we shed some light on classic lit. I am reading A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's fantastic. I'm using the voice changer because I'm testing that out for Percy Jackson. 
because I'm going to be using it for Percy Jackson. That's right. You heard me. I'm going to be doing it. Um, on Tuesdays, we read um, uh, Vintage Sidecar, and then we transition over and play Harry Potter, Minecraft. Uh, it is the Flu Network's Witchcraft and Wizardry. Memnite, thank you very, very much. <laughs> is that an all-time record? Well, okay. I think this is a... Um, <laughs> oh, oh, good Lord. This is not going to go well for me. <laughs> Memnite, thank you a ton. Uh, let me thank you as I try to chomp on this very spicy bean. I have not, I have not bitten into it yet, and it's already real, real bad. So, Memnite, thank you a bunch. Thank you for your perpetual support. Frankly, thank you for being such a good brewer of beans. But, but uh, so often I can. Oh man, it's really bad. It's really bad. That's really bad. It's one of the really bad ones. Thank you, Memnite. I appreciate it a ton. I still have that that Warzone loadout named after you. <laughs> Oof. Oh, baby. Yeah, Memnite, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you very much for for uh, keeping this uh, <laughs> keeping the hype trains coming regularly because those are very encouraging for me. Um, and also, oh, good grief! What time? What timing? He's just really choked up. He really appreciates you a lot tonight. I, I think it's the hellish one. I think it's, what is it, Carolina Reaper? That's my final answer. Uh, that was really bad. It's habanero. So. It's only habanero? Only. That's the one down from Carolina Reaper. Mm. I thought it was two down. Uh-uh. Oh, that was so bad. Memnite, thank you for conducting the hype train. Thank you for conducting that Hogwarts Express into the station. I appreciate it so much. Um, and uh, like I said, these are the things, the bits and the the gifting of subscriptions and everything. These these are the things that help me to make streaming such a big part of my life. Oh, baby. Oh. Whoo. Hmm. Oh, babes. Okay. Babes? <laughs> I guess that's you now. Babes. We've never called each other babe. It drives us both crazy. Hey, babe. Hey, babes. (laughs) Wednesdays. (laughs) Wednesdays. Babes. She's babes. You're all punks. You're all my punk ruffians. Um, Because I've said this before, but I always, I like to imagine that um, Scooter Patrol and Storytime MC were a bunch of like real, real hardcore looking, chains wearing, bike riding, (laughs) Leather vest, sleeve tearing off. Frizz says she feels punks. personally attacked. Why is that? Because her and Tina call each other babe. Started as a joke. What? Well, just because we don't call each other that? Well, you said... You said... What did you say? Yeah, neither one of us wants to be called babe. When Tuna starts calling me babe, I'll get annoyed. <laughs> Which... Oh man, for anybody who's there on Tuesday last, um, who's there for the Terry conversation, <laughs> Memnite, another mega cheer, and shared rewards with 141 other people. I don't know how it's pulling that number out, because we've only got 42 people here, but I've got 468 followers. Who are the 141 people? Oh man. Okay, fortunately, you didn't catch me in the middle of another very, very spicy bean, but um, Memnite, thank you a ton. Uh, this is shaping up to potentially be another record night. <laughs> I wonder if that's how many people have used the emotes that 
that he has contributed in the past. That's possible. The cheers, whatever they're called. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Frizz, Memnite Mem uh, apparated 100 people into chat. <laughs> yeah, he just dragged him in. And now it says 150 emotes shared. What gives that, What what's determining that number? That's so wild. <laughs> I live in SoCal, so isn't babe required? Uh, it's not required, just encouraged. It's required as like a... Like shoes. Like a... Shoes suck. The Terry stream was ridiculous. <laughs> I really enjoyed the Terry stream, but... Um, yeah, I got a picture. I'm going to send it to Discord about that later on because I found something goofy. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you want to go find out what on earth that is, you can count on Tuna and I to get into some weird territory. But um, that was on Tuesday. On Wednesdays, we play Dungeon World. Uh, if any of you are fans of Critical Role or you're friends of the Adventure Zone uh, or you've ever just wondered what it's like to play Dungeons & Dragons, come on Wednesdays. We're playing and you can actually play. You can jump in. Right now we're in the middle of a heist on an airship. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Our group is trying to avoid um, being, well, being blamed for uh, a giant rift opening up and, uh, you know, emitting all these creatures into the world. They've been taken in by the police, and uh, now they're trying to frame someone else for it so that they can frame the person that is forcing them to frame someone else. Does it sound complicated? It is, and it's also a ton of fun. So come help us heist this airship. It's going to be fantastic. That's on Wednesdays at noon Pacific time. Brendan, thank you a ton. I appreciate that an awful lot. Thank you so much for the bits. Um, <laughs> uh, same here in KW. Where's KW? What's KW? It's not Kentucky. Where's W? Is W next to Y? No. I thought it might have been a mistype. I'm not sure. Yeah, what's what's KW? You sleuth it out. I got to keep talking. So this bean, I have a really hard time, obviously, after the spicy beans. Um, Kentucky West. <laughs> Kentucky West is not a bad option. Um, <laughs> Kentucky West. It's like... <laughs> It's like Upper Montana. It's an invented state, but it's the one that we all know and love. Death Metal Dahlia and Memnite, thank you very much. Thank you for keeping the uh, keeping the cauldron topped up. <laughs> it's it's fun to watch it just hang out there, all full, just poised, and then somebody drop something huge on there. Ollie Rose, thank what you a Kentucky? bunch. <laughs> Take me home. Um, okay, that last one I think was a raspberry bean. I think that's that's the best I got for you. It tasted like some raspberry jam that we I don't typically get. What I put in your mouth. Uh oh, that's no good. No, I'm pretty sure it was green. Was it green? Yeah. It didn't taste it was green. green apple. It was like green, green. Ooh. Frizz. I'll bet it is Key West. And Memnite, thanks a ton. Thanks a ton again. <laughs> you have once again annihilated the beans pot. <laughs> Marianne, I also need bread. We are we are brewing up quite the volatile potion today. What are we making, by the way? What kind of potion are we making? Bread. Yeah, Memnite is going crazy tonight. <laughs> Memnite, thanks a ton. Um, and yeah, I hope you're doing well. It's good to see you. I know we get to see you sort of on and off every other week kind of thing, but um, I'm glad to have you in here. I hope work is going well because I know that's the thing that's typically keeping you away. Um, I hope it's not kicking your butt or anything. I don't know precisely what sector you work in, but uh, I, I hope you're doing all right. It's great to have you. It's a pride potion. It's it it seems like it, isn't it? Oh dang! Yeah, Memnite, thanks for giving out that gift sub, and uh, Dahlia, thank you very much. What's up? Flying sidecar one ten four. Okay, I think that makes sense. I think that's enough of a sort of representation. So, um, 
I'll start talking about it more and more, but uh, basically we're going to switch the sidecar to instead of HP out loud or whatever out loud, it's just going to be flying sidecar. So flying sidecar is a new hashtag. Go ahead and put that in there and I'll know, I'll know you're here for that Thursday night good. All right. What? (laughs) On Thursdays, y'all know what it is. We read Harry Potter um, for one more week. After three years, we have one week left. The final chapters. It is a quite a long chapter first and then a very short chapter. Sam and I spent probably a year on the last four or five chapters. So yeah, in my private read through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um because we got into quarantine, we got right to this portion at the end where it was like feeling pretty heavy. hopeless. It was very heavy. Yeah, exactly. Um and so I kind of didn't want to read it to her because we both kind of needed something a little bit more uplifting, so I got started on the very beginning of Percy Jackson before we finished. Um, but no, we're done now. We've done our full read-through. So, um, Cass, thank you for letting me read to you. Yeah, thanks for reading me. Thank you for enjoying it. Um, most nights. So when, I haven't used that, when I haven't used that as an instrument to bug you. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. One of the many people who has helped us get where we are today. Okay. Yeah, now, he guessed the last one. He thought it was raspberry jam, but it, he was wrong. I said raspberry because it tasted like raspberry jam because you're very, very picky about what my guesses are. <laughs> it was green. Yeah, I guess I raspberry. Um, Cass says it was green, though. Um, we're so distracted, says Lone Star. Well, there's some distracted stuff going on. Um, we've got the, uh, the beans cauldron boiling and... Boy, I appreciate it a ton. Okay, this one, it's very vanilla-y. It's, it feels very familiar. I'm not getting that stink bug overture, so I don't think it's got any coffee in it. So I think it's just marshmallow or birthday cake, one of those, or maybe just French vanilla. I have to decide between those now. Hold on. Hold on. Give me a moment. i got to meditate on it. Marshmallow. Final answer. Pretty sure it's cream soda. Cream soda? Okay, yeah, I can see that. The spice hides the the attempted carbonation. They include just a little bit of bitterness in there to imitate carbonation. And boy, when I got a spicy one, I have no idea. Okay, so I don't know if you need to put it quite so starkly. Maybe you only highlight it when I do have one. No. Is that, would that be cool? How does, how do people feel about that? If maybe we just, maybe we stopped highlighting it when I've got nothing out of four. So lit. I have not done well so far, everyone. (laughs) All right. On Fridays, we don't have a stream because, um, well, uh, typically I don't have time, but this Friday, tomorrow, I I do have time. I'm going to start streaming at uh, 2 p.m. tomorrow. Um, and then I'm going to have some friends trickling in and we're eventually going to be playing Among Us. Until then, I'm just going to do kind of an informal, like, hang out. Did I really not mention it once? You haven't told me at all. I haven't mentioned it one time. Shoot. I quit as your bean queen. Don't quit as the bean queen. I quit. So I'm starting at two, but, uh, there are other people who aren't going to be available immediately anyway. So I I download the app. Yeah, I'm going to get you in there. Oh, you can do it on the app? I thought you were going to do it on the laptop. Then we have to buy a second copy. It's free on the app. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. That's what I've been saying this whole time. <laughs> it's easier than I thought. I know. <laughs> okay. That's my bad. I apologize. I thought I had mentioned <sighs> it. Um, 
I'm going to start, like I said, I'm going to get started at two. He does have friends and it's me and he didn't tell the one friend that he has. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start at two o'clock. Um... I'm not going to start by playing Among Us. I'm not going to start Among Us immediately. And then as people are able to get there, that's when I'm going to start. You didn't tell anybody. Who did you tell? Um, I told Tuna and I told Halfbit. Um, oh, great. Because those are the ones that I had to plan for. Those are the ones who I had to figure out if they were even available for it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to start at 2 p.m. my time. So 2 p.m. Pacific time. Um, I am, like I said, I'm, I'm going to start by just hanging out. I'll probably play something just to like have something going on in the background. I really liked that story game where water tastes like wine. So I may jump onto that, but basically what, hold on, hold on. What just happened? Somebody, there's somebody in chat named (laughs) fake tuna Sunday. Well, he's got a crown. So. (laughs) Hmm. That's just, that's for prime gaming. All right. Now I'm, now I'm. This is great. Curious. There's, there's a mystery in chat. Hold on. What's happening here? Fake tuna Sunday. Who brought you? Yeah, who are you? Who are you here with, Fake Tuna Sunday? I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess it's somebody we already know under a different name. I'm guessing they changed your Is changed their name. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm gonna be just hanging out, and then as people trickle in, once we've got enough folks, then we're gonna play Among Us. Uh oh. Tuna brought me. Hmm, this is wild. <laughs> anyway, all right, uh, folks. Thank you very much for being here. So tomorrow, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time. So two, whatever time Harry Potter starts for you, two hours earlier. Um, that's when I'm. What, that's when I'm going to start. I'm going to hang out for a bit. We're going to play Among Us. I don't, let's see. This is not going to be a regular thing. I'm just doing it tomorrow because, well, Dahlia bought the game for me, and I figured I didn't want to play until I played it on stream. So I was waiting for the right number of people, but. We can't sort of make that confluence happen, so we might end up playing with some randos anyway. We need some randos. Yeah. Don't worry, chat is censored. Okay, good. We got that going for us. Young. I'll just. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, all right. Hmm. This yeah, bean, I don't too. know. Lone Star says, I'm totally up for more. Water tastes like wine. That was so fun. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, it is. Cass was suggesting that one uh, the other day as well, um, which is what reminded me, I think. Um, but Mem Knight, thank you very much. Thanks for keeping it topped off. Dahlia says, I'll be done with my last doctor's appointment at 3.45 tomorrow, so I'll be available then. Uh, is that Pacific time? 3.45, what 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 uh, time zone are you in? Because Dahlia is the one. I'm pretty sure they are. I tried to pop it into uh, gaming chat, but I don't know if you spotted it. Um, yeah, Dahlia. No, Dahlia's in Texas. So two hours, which they're means two hours. Really, I thought they were only an hour. Well, I, I guess whack. I don't know where in Texas. I think they're all at this on the same time as as our hometown. Yes, Pacific. <laughs> Three forty-five Pacific. Okay, cool. In that case, you'll probably be there like right on time for when we've got the most people present. So, um, Death Metal Dahlia, I think that should be good. But yeah, y'all can thank Death Metal Dahlia for this because Death Metal Dahlia is the one who bought me the game. <laughs> she she. Uh, uh, donated over on Patreon, and I appreciate it a ton. I knew it. I like, oh, you're from I'm Texas, like, but you live sure in, California. in California. Oh. I'm pretty sure she, he, they. I apologize. I was all goofed. Um, I believe we've discussed it before. She. Okay. I believe we've discussed it before. Uh, I do have a Patreon. I don't do much with it right now, Holly Rose, but now that I've got a new, uh, a new phone, 
some of that might change. I just don't know what to do with it, frankly. But yes, I really would like to do more with it. Um, so Dahlia, thank you very much for buying me Among Us so that we can play it on stream. I'm sorry that it took so long. It really did take a long time, and I apologize. But Memnite, thank you a ton for the bits. Thank you so much. That's a thousand bits, which which puts you once again at a heck of a record. Um, <laughs> our top weekly cheers, twelve thousand bits from Memnite. So Memnite, over the past week, thank you so much. In second place, S. Carlova, and in third place, Brendan. It resets in three days, apparently. I guess it. There's a specific day it resets on. Um, and then Death Metal I Dahlia, Holly days. Rose, Jess Brown. Yeah, I don't know. It, like it, it starts over on Monday, I guess. Day. I don't know. The thirteenth of every month. <laughs> no, All it's right. it's weekly. Did you guess that? Um, this one I think is gonna be. Maybe you don't remember. Yeah, no, I'm I I I'm not sure at all. Um, it definitely had. Some, I'm gonna guess pineapple, crushed pineapple. Final answer. Well it was it was very acidic. Not y'all. I don't remember. Not feet picks tuna. I tried tuna. <laughs> I said, do you know how much money you could make off your feet? I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. That's not the is, that's not so. the energy I want to bring into the world. Um, I don't remember what it is, so I guess we get a point. The Bean Queen Rebel. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't know what you gave me. What did you guess? I guess crushed pineapple. That is a flavor, so I guess give him a point. Unless anybody remembers what color it was. Heck yeah, give me a point. No, I don't care if you remember what color it was. Go ahead and give me that point. That's how I feel. That's how I feel about the situation. We don't need to know precisely what it was. All we need to know is that I got it. I got it. I win. I did a good job. I hear you listening to you. Yeah. I got to monitor my audio. There's only one way to do it. Just one inch to the left. Cool. All right. One out of five. Oof. All right. Now, um, as we summon some more, uh, let's go find out what Instagram and Twitter look like. So, uh, I am looking, like I said, for the hashtag HP out loud. Um, and my tag, my, my name attached to it. That can be pretty handy for me to be able to find you. Um, let's see. So, this week we've got Lisa Hall. Lisa with your protection charm. Lisa says, just woke up, and as I play your YouTube playlist of uh, Harry Potter books to sleep to, it reminded me, I need to cast your protection charm for tomorrow. Keeping the Terry dream alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the Terry dream, that's a weird one. It is, it's like a nightmare. <laughs> no, it was our, our big fellows, bigfellows.com. That's going to be, honestly, that's just what the Patreon's going to turn into. Bigfellows.com. <laughs> Uh, and I don't think we've got any over on Instagram. So I think it's just, um, wait, nope. Yeah, I don't think so. So this week it is uh, Lisa Hall. So Lisa, thank you very much. Uh, and once again, we're changing it this week. So I'm probably going to, I may I may look at it for the next few weeks, but I might forget. You all know me. I'm probably going to forget um, to look at the old hashtags. From here on out, we're going to flying sidecar. Hashtag flying sidecar. There we go. Instagram. Um, and if you're doing it on like an Instagram story, you'll probably want to tag me because otherwise I might not see it. Okay, cool. Everyone, thank you a ton for being here. Lisa, this one's for you. Thank you very much for sharing about the show. And thank you all so much for being here. Um, Memnite for, for absolutely annihilating the bits, the, uh, the, the, the cauldron, the potion that we are brewing of bits. Um, and then all of you who have also jumped in there, uh, Dahlia, uh, Holly Rose, 
Uh, Brendan, thank you. Uh, that's a, a name I don't see very often, but I I appreciate you being generous when you show up. Um, uh, and I want to make sure I haven't forgotten anybody who's ducked in there on occasion, because um, we've had tonight we've had a we've had a few people, few people pitch in. I lost my voice there when you do you Dumbledore also for bad force. Did I? Oh, pitch in. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, if you do Dumbledore for forty-five minutes straight, uh, turns out it doesn't treat your voice very well. Do you get a bean for fake tuna Sunday? No, you do not. I don't. I'm not. I'm discouraging cheesing the system. Tuna, and you should know this about me. You know me. All right. Unless you can somehow prove that fake tuna Sunday isn't just a a dupe account you made. Fake tuna Sunday. Say your name. State your name. <laughs> this is a robbery. He brought me here. You cre okay, I know who Fake Tuna Sunday is. Fake Tuna Sunday is in an alt account that you made for yourself so that you could get Prime Gaming twice. I don't remember precisely why, but it's so that you could get some additional benefits for it, isn't it? And I'm guessing it's related to Cyberpunk 2077. I have sleuthed it. Tell me I'm wrong. I've mostly sleuthed it. I've kind of sleuthed it. Lisa Hall, thank you very much for sharing about the story. I don't... Why would I want Prime That's a cappuccino bean right there. <laughs> oh, man, they go straight to stink bug. If you combine spicy and coffee, straight to stink bug. So that's a cappuccino beano. Cappuccino bean. Final answer. You know who I miss? What's that? Who's that? She, <laughs> she doesn't know. Oh, from <laughs> from Monster Prom? Yeah. Yeah, what was his name? What was the Magically Latino's cat Latino cat's name? Uh Memnite, thank you a ton. Thank you for thank you for uh boiling over the collagen once more. We've got a a quite the brew up tonight. All right, I'm gonna finish off the last of my water. Yes, it was cappuccino. Is it cappuccino bean? Mm-hmm. We we did it. I got two out of six, which is a disgusting failure on my part. But hey, they are Birdie Bot's every flavor bean. So there are a lot of options to choose from. Was it Juan? Something's, something feels off about that. It doesn't feel like it was Juan. Fake tuna isn't real, Frizz. Convince me otherwise. We can't. Do anything to convince me otherwise. Like what? What would convince you? Google says you're wrong. <laughs> what is what does that mean? Oh, Google about about Juan the small magically Latino cat. Uh, indeed. Um, everyone, thank you a ton for being here. I love y'all. <laughs> it's been a great week. Um, it's been a great three years. It has been a tough week um, because of the because you know we're we're coming in so close to the end but I want to thank you all for bringing us this far uh, I want to thank you a ton for being with us um, for however long you've been on this train for however long you've you've been riding this Hogwarts Express however long you've been riding the flying sidecar um, thank you for hopping in thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for all your support over so much time um, if y'all would like to know more about sidecar stories, you can find out. It has been a few moons now, Death Metal Dahlia. Indeed, it has. Um, Discrod. There we go. Uh, the Discord is your best way to find out more about the channel. If you are wondering when I'm streaming, if you're wondering about new streams, um, see that's why you didn't know. It's not because I. It's not because I forgot to tell you. It's because you're not in Discord. 
There it is. That's how we know. <laughs> we <share laughs> She's <a> speechless. <laughs> Because that was the worst argument I've ever heard. No, I think I win. I think I sleuthed it, and I think I win. We Everyone share a room. Okay, before before she can. <laughs> you tell me you're only gonna communicate with me through Discord now. Um. Now don't tempt me, because that <laughs> that'd be a very funny goof for about a day. Um. Till I actually quit as being queen. Uh, indeed. Everyone, I want to thank you a ton for being here. Uh, I appreciate y'all. <laughs> what kind of rigged system is this? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, I tell you what. If if you can... Uh... <laughs> I haven't seen the notification for that train reset. Um, the, the hype train, I think it's not just dependent on, like, a number of bits. I think it's dependent on um, individual elements coming in. I'll, I'll, maybe I can find it and give it to you uh, later on, Memnite. Um, but yeah, the hype train is, uh, I did fix it last time. Um, but Addy, I'm glad you enjoy them. Um, uh, yeah. And Hey, fake tuna Sunday. Yeah. If you can, if you can do anything to convince me, then yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll reserve it for next week, but I'm going to be strict. I'm going to be strict with the beans. Nobody's cheesing the system. Not on my watch. Not nobody. Luis, the goat lady. Thank you very much. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, yeah, Louise, the ghost, the go the ghost lady. <laughs> Louise, Louise, oh my word, the goat lady. Um, uh, Louise has been streaming, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, she does a quick like half an hour stream on some days when I'm not typically streaming. Um, you're not an old account. You were created on the third. Um, the... Uh, the, um, the the streams that Louise typically does are pretty yeah, interesting. It's just you know thirty minutes spent with uh, her goats to hang out. Uh, pretty great. great. Um, <laughs> uh, everyone, thank you so much for being here. We are going to raid over to Mister Halfbit now. Um, let's get that raid started. Uh, yeah, I think on it's going to be a little tough because on t tomorrow she would typically stream, but I think I'm going to be finished too late for her to be streaming so that'll be pretty weird but um yeah i would love to at some point typically she just streams on days when i'm not streaming to give uh to uh give some diversity so everyone we are raiding over now to mr halfbit let's head over there um all of you who are heading off in different directions everyone thank you so much for being here i'll see y'all later so go ahead and uh jump aboard uh we're gonna go right over to mr halfbit and i will see y'all tomorrow for some chatting and some among us Samundungus. I'll see y'all later. Bye bye. I can't see. There we go. <laughs>